Welcome to another episode of Artifacts, where our lives affect art inside out. I am your host, Jade Hassel, and today I had the honor of speaking with Dr. Edwin M. E. Smith, a Bermudian artist and art educator. His mixed media artwork and illustrations can be found in collections internationally and has been included in biennial exhibitions hosted by the Bermuda National Gallery. His professional experience includes corporate graphic design and three decades of teaching studio art and art history from elementary school through university levels. Since 1998, he has taught in the art and design program at Bermuda College. He is the author of two books which are vital to Bermudian art history, Image Making and the Bermudian Artist and Paul Paul Bermuda, which is a book he co-authors with his family. He presently serves on the acquisition and exhibition committees for the Bermuda National Gallery, and he is also the chairman for the Bermuda Society of Arts Bursary Awards. His work embraces a post-colonial focus. He responds to his environments of untold stories and topical issues occurring in Bermuda, with the understanding that they reflect universal themes. His mixed-media works are visual commentary and provides critique of social realities through acrylic. Charcoal photography, collage, and three-dimensional components. For the past seven years, his palette has been mostly black and white, contrasting values and documentary contribution. His work is an ongoing exploration of identity and place. He has made significant contribution to the Bermuda arts education and Bermudian art history, and it's such a pleasure to have him on the show today. If you would like to connect with Dr. Smith or check out more of his artwork. You can find him on Instagram at edsmithbda.art. Good afternoon, Dr. Smith. Welcome to the Artifacts Podcast. We're super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I feel honored and looking forward to speaking with you. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I just wanted to share with everybody how we met. We actually met earlier this year at the installation for the 2020 Bermuda Biennial, and that was incredible. I mean, I was like completely blown away by your work. I mean, to be in the same room as you while you were creating that was just magical to see you at work. And actually, that's like where I would like to start our conversation today. Can you talk a little bit about the piece that you have currently showing in the 2020 Bermuda Biennial? Yes, that particular installation is entitled "Transience," and transience uh, refers to a moment, a moment in time. You know that time is fleeting; mm-hmm. time moves on. I wanted to emphasize that we should enjoy each moment. Each of us is getting older; time is going by. Enjoy those moments. If you don't, Then I, I feel that it's your fault. Yes. Um, you can't blame somebody else. And I also wanted to emphasize that art exists in a space, and that the audience is a crucial component. And so, in this work, there are figures, yes. and they're arranged in such a way that, as you, the audience, stand in front of it or, and contemplate it, you are actually. Almost participating in the same conversation, mm-hmm. you complete the circle, and that's what I enjoy. I don't want art to be this final thing. Uh, I've spent time creating something, and now here it is, and it's up on the wall. Some right. people refer to that as dead art. I want it to be something that you're involved with or you're a part of. The audience is a crucial component. 
Absolutely. I mean, and I definitely felt that with your work when I saw you creating it and then to actually see it um, at the opening. I mean, honestly, like your piece in the show was my absolute favorite. I think not only because I saw all of the painstaking process that it took for the final piece, it felt like standing in front of that piece that you were in conversation with it, where the audience becomes a part of that. Your piece was extremely successful because you felt that when you stood in front of it. I'm glad that I met you there. And even though I had wanted to meet you at your opening that had happened a little while before, I was glad that when I did meet you, that we were both artists creating art in the same place at the same time. I think that that was fantastic yes. to, for artists to, to meet while working on their craft or working on what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, what was so special about that time was like you say, like we were in the same place at the same time working. That doesn't usually happen a lot. So I can honestly say that some of your energy actually went into that piece that I finished at the exhibition because we were vibing off of each other. We were talking, we were listening to music. I was really, really pleased that I wasn't just in there by myself like all the time. That was like a great way to meet another artist for sure. Yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your background growing up in Bermuda. Can you talk a little bit about like your upbringing, how you decided that you wanted to be an artist just give us a little insight into your journey to becoming an artist. I always knew I wanted to be an artist. There was never a time when I didn't know that. <laughs> and the first school that I went to was Ordward School. Now it's Paget Primary. But it, those days it was called Ordward School. And I had a teacher, Mrs. Uh, Olga Simons, who, who taught art. And I loved that class. I loved her. And I knew I was an artist even before I went to her oh, class. Wow. Uh, and I remember on one Monday morning, I think it was, she came to school and said that there had been an art exhibition over the weekend and that she had put in this, her student work. And I must have been eight or nine at the time. And she had put one of my paintings in. I didn't know. And I guess my mother didn't know because we didn't go to the exhibition. And it must, must have been a competition of sorts. And my work got third place. And I received a prize. Um, I think it was a painting set. And I was That's so excited. Cool. <laughs> I felt like I won the competition. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that was a like confirmation to me, or at least I took it that way with my young mind, that this is something I was supposed to do uh, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is one of my earliest memories in, in terms of at least my art background. Right. That's amazing. Interestingly, I actually never even knew that Paget Primary used to be called Ordred School. <laughs> so that's <laughs> actually funny to hear about that. You know, when I think about kids, and how important it is to be able to allow kids to freely explore. I think about my early childhood experiences as well. And I, I also loved drawing. I loved painting. I had these like little paper people that I used to make which I think are a continuation of my collages that I make. That's right. Yeah, like I can, I can definitely yeah. see the link between that. And it's so important for kids to be able to explore different avenues. And I think 
you know, when we have the opportunity to have actual living artists who are living and working in this particular field, it's important to connect them with artists. Because for me, that was like something that I didn't have when I was a young person. And I think if I did have that, I would have probably had chosen the career path of being an artist a long time ago. And I mean, you are connected with young people um, because you're an educator. So can you talk about your teaching experience? I mean, you've been teaching for over, I think it's 30 years. How long has it been for you? It's 30. 30 years. Okay. (laughs) Um, So can you talk a little bit about your experience as an educator and if you've seen like a shift in subject matter and some of the things that artists have been making in Bermuda? In regards to teaching students, there, there will always be this track or similarity because as my traditional students are those who who have just completed secondary school and they're now uh, at uh, at freshman in college Mm -hmm. Uh, we do have non-traditional students as well those who are older who are coming back to take our classes and then we have seniors as well but the those younger ones between 16 and 19 years old Over the years, I've come to expect certain thinking or certain interests. And so that's basically remained the same. But you will have those exceptions, Mm -hmm. um, students who perhaps are a little bit more aware of themselves and where they want to go with their art a little sooner. And they're able to create context and concepts rather and bring their subjects and their materials together in in creative and meaningful ways. So I love when I see that happen. And for those who I don't see that right away, I hope that after at least their time spent with us, that that is a reality. Mm -hmm. I love when um, I see students who complete there and continue their education abroad and then come back and then they're, they're just ready to go. They're emerging or they're starting to, because of their exposure and the amount of time they've already spent in art making, they're starting to develop their own paths or determine right. where they want to go with their work. So I'm starting to see that. Keep in mind, Bermuda is not unique. Well, we are unique in, in many ways, but we are like any other small community where right. you have people who leave and come back with new ways of seeing and thinking and then perhaps some who were already here may not be readily accepting of some of these new directions have you seen that in terms of like the artistic community though i guess an opening up or more of an acceptance of some different kinds of narratives and imagery in artwork i'm just glad to see that more artists are not afraid to do their thing they the art world will continue to have a divide between, maybe I can refer to them as the status quo, those who do what has always been done compared, and then those who are not happy with that and want to go in other directions and do other things and and really explore what the definition of art is or what, what it means for them. Yes. And I think it's interesting 
and exciting to be an artist, especially today, because it's so many things to explore. I mean, um, we have so many different subject matters, so you can have so many different life experiences. And I love seeing uh, new ways of thinking and new techniques and just people kind of like pushing the boundaries for what art really is, I think is exciting. So I love seeing like installation work and, you know, different media. And I think it's awesome that artists are pushing this idea of this like status quo of what art really is or questioning that. Dr. Charles Zill. Yes. Uh, I remember he told me years ago that a, a good craftsman is a good artist and a good artist is a good craftsman. So I never forget that. Right. So it's one and the same. One and the same. I wanted to ask you, um, who are some of your biggest influences? Because you just mentioned Charles Zool. And do you have a role model um, that you've drawn inspiration from when creating your artwork? I don't think I have a role model. But I tell you this, uh, there are many people whose work I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And over time, what I found for myself is as I contemplate or consider adding certain elements to my work, it could be subject matter or it could be um, actual materials, and then I find another artist using that thing, then they are my favorite for that time right. <laughs> until, I move, until I move on right. and to, to something else. And so as much as it sounds like I'm puffing myself up, I, I choose my own directions and mm-hmm. then I find individuals who are there. So when I was in my 20s, so I was really into photorealism. And perhaps part of my interest in that is because I'm also a graphic designer. So I'm an artist, a fine artist slash designer. So I really like graphic elements in my fine art. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of merged the two. Right. And so in my 20s, when I was thoroughly interested in photorealism, uh, Richard Estes was my guy. And still, I may Google him and look at some of his paintings and I get chills. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was, he was doing this work before there was anything known as digital work. And the detail and the crispness was fantastic. I moved away from that eventually. I can tell you, closer to my 40s, <laughs> I really started to appreciate looking at home, the work of Charles Lloyd Tucker and Robert Barrett, uh, specifically because they were two young Bermudians, mm-hmm. Bermudian artists who were trained artists. They had gone to school right. and they had a friendship between them. And then in 1959, when there was the theater boycott, mm-hmm. this kind of explosion with racial tension, right. which is so topical right now, yes. <laughs> they, um, <laughs> they used their work as a voice or as a, a way to respond to the realities around them. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that was fascinating yeah. to know here they had no role models. They, they had nobody before them that was doing that. But they took it on themselves to say, how can I respond? And they chose to use their art to do so. Mm-hmm. And today now we have that record, that visual record. Yeah. Um, if I go beyond those two to more to today, the artists that I tend to be inspired by are, are now are more younger than me. Really? <laughs> the, the, That's interesting. They, <laughs> so uh, you may know the name Aaron Pendleton or... And Jadaka uh, Crosby. Yes, oh my goodness. Uh, actually, Amazing some of your work, work reminds me of, of hers. Yes, <laughs> it's funny. I've gotten that reference a couple of times. Her work is incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and and uh, I'll throw in one more crazy one. Um, well, it's not so much crazy. There was an artist who actually died 
I think at the end of last year, mm-hmm. relatively recently, uh, I believe he was from California, um, John Baudasari, and okay. he had a phrase, I will not make boring art. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like everything he made, but I mm-hmm. love the fact that he made it. Exactly. <laughs> and I love the fact <laughs> that he, he tried all sorts of stuff, did mm-hmm. different things with color, and, and, and actually, some of his work was collaged like yours. I'm just making that connection. Uh, he had the statement, I will not make boring art. That's an influence on me. Yes, art should be a place for excitement. It should be a place that pushes different ideas out and gets us like worked up and fired up. I mean, if we're not going to do it in art, I mean, where else can we do it? So I love that as well. I actually might title <laughs> this particular episode, I will not make boring art because I love that as well. And I might adopt that <laughs> as a personal quote too. <laughs> so thank you for um, sharing that. I wanted to ask you about the current social and political issues that are occurring in Bermuda right now. I know that you make work based on this particular context. Um, can you talk a little bit about the social commentary um, behind your work? I believe that art should be relevant. Mm-hmm. And, and, should, and should have meaning. And, or, or I have to ask myself, why am I making it? What's the purpose of this? And of course, there are those whose primary reason for making art is to make money. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock that person. That's not my primary concern. And happiness is not found for me for, with the accumulation of things. Right. But um, so in my work, I have determined that... I'm going to address or I'm going to look squarely at things that I see that I want to question. And I have a few works that um, address these things, such as when the America's Cup was proposed that Bermuda be the host, and it was positioned as this kind of savior that it was going to bring all sorts of wealth to the island and recognition and what have you. I questioned that, and a lot of people questioned it. I had a painting that I called Skepticism and Assurances. It was based on a painting. I borrowed the composition from an artist named Chardin, 19th century artist, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a mother in a very humble kitchen at a table. Uh, She's standing at the table and she's putting food on the table. And there are two children at the table about to say their grace. And in fact, the painting, I think it was called Saying Grace. And so I've taken that painting, I, t- I took the composition, and I have a mother holding up the big America's cup mm-hmm. and pouring it, pouring the contents on this table. And so I'm asking the question, you know, is this really the food and all the good stuff that's promised? Uh, I mean, it, will, it, will this really be that? Mm-hmm. And that was one instance. I also have what I call my Singing Gates series. Gates have long been featured in the picturesque paintings of the island where mm-hmm. you would see beyond the row of oleanders or Bermuda stone wall, you'd right. see a gate leading into a, a beautiful garden. But, you know, gates not only represent opening for inclusion, but they can be closed and represent exclusion as well. Yeah. They, um, I decided to look at gates that were, that were actually what I refer to as sites of resistance. Mm. And I found four easily, and I think I could have found more. One was the, uh, I guess, 
I was provoked by this one, and that was the the pepper spray incidents on December second. Yes. I think it was twenty seventeen. Yes, um, I that. So if that gate could talk, if you were to walk past it today, and it could talk, and it could tell you to stop here for a moment. Let me tell you something. It could tell you about what happened on that day. There are so many stories out there that we may easily forget, or it may have happened in a time before we were here and we have no idea of. Mm -hmm. uh, included in that series was the gates for the cabinet building. And I remember when there was the, the march of the teachers and others who walked past that gate, up to 5,000 people saying, in the past, we voluntarily gave you a furlough to help with the budget, with the economic situation of this country. But mm -hmm. you can't tell me right now that you're going to force it on me. Let's have a dialogue. Let's talk about this. Also, there's another gate on South Shore, right at Southlands. There was a dispute as to whether the government should use that land to develop it for hotel purposes mm -hmm. or not. And, and we can find ourselves on different parts of this issue or the divide, but at least that was a, a, a site of resistance. Right. And I had, I had one more in that series, and that was the Queen of the East building on Front Street, which mm -hmm. was uh, regarded as the last of the historical buildings on Front Street to go. Some people said no, save it for historical reasons. Others yeah. said no, we need to develop this. And they, you know, it, the end result was that, that there's condominiums or something there now. Uh, let me give you one more. Sure, <laughs> one of last course. One. <laughs> of course, no problem. Because I'm talking about how political or, or social issues are relevant to me and how I use them as inspirational or material for my work. Mm -hmm. And the culture of entitlement. We, um, with our Bermuda Day celebrations, know that a part of the reality now is that families mark out their spots. Right. And they call them along the parade road, and they call them their camps. Yeah. <clears throat> and wherever you was last year, <laughs> you claimed that spot for this year, ongoing. Yep. And you use <laughs> rope and masking tape to identify this is your spot. A few years ago, individuals started to write their names. So you'll see Smith or Wilson or whatever on the tape. Yes. And now it's gotten to the point where it would say Smith since 1995. <laughs> <laughs> so the discussion in the community is, is this a good thing or not? And, and there are individuals who say, yeah, it's just for that weekend, it's just for that day. Mm -hmm. uh, this is part of our culture. This is what we do. And others that say, you have no right to do that. Uh, who do you think you are? That sidewalk does not belong to you and, you know, on and on. So the question comes up, do these people have a culture of entitlement? Like, this is mine. And, and there are some people who are very upset about it. So I, in this series of actually just two paintings, I say, well, there's a bigger picture out there. What about with the European advancement as they moved out from their homes to search the world and see new lands and claim for themselves. And wherever they stopped, mm -hmm. wherever they landed, they say, this is mine, despite right. who was already there. Mm -hmm. And what right did they have to do that? Could it be that the same individuals who are saying that you can't have a six by six foot spot on a sidewalk have no problem with colonization? So right. maybe an instance that seems relatively local and perhaps as a squabble 
can actually be a reference to a much broader, larger issue. Mm-hmm. Um, a much so, larger conversation. Absolutely. I agree with that. I yeah. mean, it's interesting to hear that metaphor. I mean, I never even thought about it that way. But when you think about it, like these people are going all into the road and claiming space for themselves. Like you were saying, from a Eurocentric standpoint, people have been doing that for how long? And claiming things as their own. And so like, why can't we as Bermudians, this has been our tradition for how long the Bermuda Day Parade is here for us in our culture. Like, why can't people mark out space? But thanks for that metaphor. I mean, I didn't even think of it like that. Definitely a, a different perspective for sure, uh, bringing it to the forefront. Can you talk a little bit about how artwork being made in Bermuda is kind of still steeped in the idea of two realities or two Bermudas? And how do some of the works kind of pose questions toward this power structure? Sometimes people refer to two Bermudas as black Bermuda and white Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the haves, sometimes and, uh, haves and the have-nots, or the haves and the have-less. <laughs> In the art world, it's still absolutely clear that when you go to art openings, mm-hmm. that the audience is overwhelmingly Black or white. So there's a, almost like a, a racial divide right there. Why does it exist? Is it limited to, well, I know this person, and so I see their work, or, or not? The audience attendance alone, without even looking at any other component or aspect, mm-hmm. will reveal that there are two Bermudas. Yes. <laughs> now, we have an aesthetic that has been established. Mm-hmm. Maybe we, we can refer to it as a Bermuda aesthetic that tends to be watercolor landscapes. Now, when Bermuda positioned itself as a tourist destination Mm -hmm. and individuals started to travel, of course, the first who would travel would be those who had the means to do so. They would be white Americans, white Europeans, included in that number or would be artists who were established, who were recognized, and they would even bring their materials with them and produce art while they were here. Right. Uh, they fell in love with Bermuda's landscape. Uh, mm-hmm. Who wouldn't? Yeah, it's and beautiful. Now, if you're a local person <clears throat> and you aspire to be an artist, it's exciting to know that, hey, there are artists, there are people here, mm-hmm. right here in my neighborhood now, or on the island, who are art celebrities. <laughs> and I get to see what they do. And so their works were emulated. If you who are respected for what you do this, then I need to do this. Now, we're talking at the beginning of last century. Right. A century later, we have artists making the same thing. And I will never say that someone shouldn't use a certain medium or focus on a certain genre or subject matter. Right. But once there are excellent examples that already exist, I have to question, do you think you're going to do better? At what point do you start to look in other directions? Even the uh, Pablo Picasso from the last century, he admitted that once he could render subject matter as perfectly as he could, he felt like he was at a brick wall. Right. And he looked in other directions. Mm-hmm. You know? Like he so wanted to you change. You can imagine, left, yes. right, up or down. <laughs> let, me tr- let me try something else. And that led to him being this creative person that's very celebrated 
for all of these different things that he did. I'm saying that to say, why necessarily follow something that has been done for the last 120 years faithfully and sticking just to that? Right. Um, it has its place and it should stay there, but we need to look at other works. That actually represents one Bermuda. Yes, it does. Uh, another Bermuda is Bermuda from another perspective. For example, as one who gets up and who goes to work, Mm-hmm. I don't get to see the beach until the summer, but I'm actually one of those crazy people who jumps overboard on Christmas Day. But that's another <laughs> story. <laughs> um, we have bills to pay. We have things to do. Life in Bermuda is different through my eyes from a visitor's eyes. And so my perspective has been one that hasn't been seen, and I'm the only one who can do it. We need to see Bermuda from another perspective. And there are two Bermudas. Yes, there definitely are. And it's interesting because I was reading your um, thesis and I can't remember which gentleman had said it. You had highlighted Charles Lloyd Tucker and it was another gentleman that pretty much said that when they were observing Bermuda, that they didn't see any people. They didn't see gender. They didn't see sex or like any ideas about (laughs) people's lived experiences in Bermuda. And I think that that's what the... That's what the artwork in Bermuda is like. It's either you're painting about, you know, pink sand and white roofs and our architecture and our beaches and boats, or you're painting about people's lived reality in Bermuda. I love when I see that people are actually trying to paint about our lived experiences because um, now is a special time to be able to tell our history and tell our story um, through a visual lens. And so it's exciting when I come across artists like yourself. In your thesis, you did highlight how older artists in Bermuda, such as Carlos Sterling, received less commissions for his bronze sculpture works um, amidst some of the racial tensions that exist within Bermuda. For many artists working in Bermuda, there's this perceived risk in making political works. So I I guess I wanted to ask you, as a contemporary artist working today, and for younger artists that are coming up now behind us, um, how do you suggest that we as Bermudian artists continue to make works that agitate this social political structure in Bermuda? Yes, when Carlos Sterling stepped into the social political arena, his support did dry out. Mm -hmm. And to the point where we have to live. He had to relocate. And from what I understand, I did speak with him actually a couple of years ago now at his home abroad. He told me he was happy. Yeah. He was he was well received and loved where he is. It's a shame that that place wasn't here. But you know, this goes back to a small town uh, reality, not so much the Bermuda reality, but Bermuda's included, that uh, change is um, not always uh, embraced. Right. Uh, I'll give you another example. Even though this one wasn't sociopolitical, the artist uh, Bruce Stewart was well loved with his beautiful, uh, and I say beautiful, paintings um, mm-hmm. of Bermudian landscape. One thing that he did differently was that instead of having the the front of the house and the nice lawns and all of that, sometimes he'll show you the back of the house. So you'll see the gas cylinders <laughs> right. and the old, the old pulpit tree and stuff like that. When he stopped doing that, his sales dried up. So sometimes it's just when your style changes or so your right. audience wants you to stay where you were. Overseas, I'm thinking now, back a few years, when Jackson Pollock was working with his famous action paintings, his drip paintings, 
once he decided he wanted to do something else, that he was tired of it, his critics and audience said, no, 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 sorry, no portraits and landscapes for you. Stick with that. Stick with what you've been doing. I so said the art world can kind of be very selective and like that and, and to try to make you stay with what you're doing. But really, too, social political work that points a finger at some injustice or some oppression or some reality that you'd rather not look at, you as the artist have to know as you start that work that you're not going to get the reception that you want. And in fact, is that why you're doing it? Um, right, right. Maybe, maybe it could be, even though an artist is an artist and wants to, you know, has that personal pa passion to do and make what they want, sometimes, and it's sad to say, but sometimes we have to rely on something else to make the money to put the food on the table mm -hmm. while, while we still go and make our art. Right. So my advice would then be, be you and focus on what you do. Don't change because you want to pacify somebody else. Speak your truth. And in fact, we're relying on you too, because yeah. the same way I can make a reference to Charles Floyd Tucker's painting, those individuals have gone now, their work remains. A future generation is going to want to see some of the realities of today, and only you who are here today can produce those works. Yes. Um, speak to the issues, and, and then this becomes a record that may not have immediate or contemporary approval or excitement, but it may benefit those who are to come. Wonderful. When I think about like my artistic practice, I'm thinking of like all of the things I want to talk about and all of the um, issues I want to highlight. But it is it is a little nerve wracking, you know, to think that you might come up against the pushback. But I think that artists have a unique voice in the world and, and that we can relay messages in a completely different way and create change in a different way than other roles in the world can. In your mm -hmm. book, you, which, by the way, is an absolutely amazing book, and I thank you so, so much for gifting me um, a signed copy of the book. It's, it's an amazing book. Your comments on how art like, isn't made in a vacuum and that we're all interconnected and that artists are constantly like, in conversation with one another. Can you talk a little bit about the project and then maybe potentially offer some words on the art practice as interconnection? That book was something I really wanted to do. And I didn't want it to be uh, all text. I wanted it as an artist. I wanted a visual approach. And you'll see this balance between the, the text and the imagery. And it's of my own work and my own compositions. But I was blessed, I was fortunate to have buy-in by all of the artists that I approached. Almost 100% of the individuals I approached gave me their blessings, mm -hmm. gave me their signed agreements <laughs> they, um, that I could pull elements from some of their more well-known work and put them into new compositions. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the whole idea, again, as I mentioned before, was to show that Bermudians have, an, uh, have a, a perspective and yes. nobody's perspective is inferior to somebody else's. And so what, what are the things that are on the minds of local artists and what are their concerns and what do they feel as appropriate subject matter? So this book is 
becomes a sort of a text because in addition to having these 21 paintings, there's a careful record in the back that gives you a breakdown of the artist's name, the name of the work, the year it was created, the medium used. And in my write-up for each of these works, I do intentionally not only have one Bermudian connection, you know, interconnected with another, but also Bermudian art with the world. So you'll see references to more international pieces. I think this was important. And it's a kind of one offshoot of my studies as I was studying what artists were doing in Bermuda for my doctoral thesis. Mm -hmm. And I had this information. I said, I could use this. I could use this for something else. (laughs) And I'll tell you one inspiration that helped with this as well. I had a a professor uh, by the name of Gregory Constantine. That's a fantastic name, and I just like repeating it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He had a book called uh, Vincent Van Gogh Visits New York. Now, Vincent van Gogh never visited New York. Right. Um, (laughs) But here's this book of images. And in the images, there is Vincent. These are all drawings. And you see Vincent in different places in New York City. But whatever the scenarios, each individual scenario uh, happened to be, all the elements that were there came from other Renaissance, medieval, you know, these artists from all these different time periods, and you can recognize them, the beautiful references, or it it can become a quiz book, like, can you recognize who painted these flowers? Can you recognize who painted that face? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I say, well, I could do that with a, I could do that with a Bermudian uh, context. But the only difference is my artists were still alive for the most part, Mm-hmm. And and as you know, for copyright reasons, Constantine with his book, copyright had run out, so he could use whatever images, um, mm-hmm. ancient or older images he wanted. I had to actually contact um, artists or their families to get right. to get permission. But um, so that was an exciting project, and in a way, that became like a collaboration where these artists were being brought together. I can tell you, increasingly, I'm loving the idea of artists collaborating, but perhaps more so intentionally, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where they've linked up with somebody and, or a small group. Yeah. And they say, you know, this is what we're going to do, or this is how we're going to address this thing. Normally, when you do that, or if that's done, you kind of do so with individuals that you already have some sort of relationship with. Right. But I like to even see that happen where there are pairings or just coming together with artists who wouldn't normally work together. And I would like, I'm actually in a project like that right now, but with someone that I really have a relationship with. But I would like to see more collaboration. Yeah. And it didn't have to even be, you know, with this interconnection, necessarily just artists who are both here on this rock, but even artists here with someone from elsewhere. So why not? Um, Let's make the world even smaller than it is. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, collaboration, it's necessary because what a pair or a group of people set out to achieve collectively, the outcome is far greater than what one individual person could have done on their own. So we definitely do need more collaboration collaborative groupings, especially within the art world and especially within Bermuda. 
and the Bermudian artistic yeah. community. Speaking of collaborations, um, what would be your most exciting or dream collaboration if you have one? Who would you love to work with? I haven't thought of this. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've talked about Charles Lloyd Tucker, mm-hmm. but now I'm thinking, would, would he collaborate with me? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to collaborate with younger people. And so I'm kind of looking at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We might be able to. We might be able to do something. We could put something in the sure. works. Because we've already been in the same space exactly (laughs) exactly exactly so who knows what we could come up with i mean that would be exciting i would love that love the opportunity to work with you and the same here i do not believe at least from my standpoint that i should go into any collaboration with a preconceived notion of what my art or what the end result should look like Mm -hmm. i I think it should be an honest work it should grow from these two minds working together and coming up with this new reality yes. as opposed to one dominating or one forcing their thinking or what they believe an outcome should look like on the other. Mm-hmm. The, I personally would not say I would like to collaborate with so-and-so because their work looks like mine or because we're about the same age or I think they think like me. No. Mm-hmm. In fact, as I'm talking right now, I'm thinking that even random, having a third party say, you two get together, might actually an effective way to work. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I mean, the, I love also the idea that collaborations shouldn't have like a perceived limitation either, or choosing to work with someone because they have a similar style as you or the same subject matter. I think when we put yeah. two completely contrasting ideas or maybe technical ability or together something incredible could be produced from that so it is exciting you know to think about the possibility of collaboration and what that could produce i wanted to ask you about art smiths you have a very special collaboration with your family and your sons and can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing for the Bermudian community and some of the past projects that you guys have worked on oh i'm I'm glad you brought this up (laughs) um i have two sons yeah. And I'm married. My wife and I have two sons. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't make them by myself. <laughs> I'm happy to say that and as a father, I involved my sons with everything I did. And when they were very young boys, we had we, we would collaborate and have art exhibitions. They say, You're sharing with me. And we right. had <laughs> we had exhibitions in the Edinburgh Gallery at City Hall at the, at the Society of Arts. Mm-hmm. And um, every few years, every couple of years or so, we would have another exhibition of art. And when they got to college age, you know, they were involved with their studies. And then we realized, wow, it was 10 years since the last exhibition. Let's have another one. And wow, that much time <laughs> so, has passed. Yes. And so I think that was 2017 mm-hmm. or 2016. We had a big exhibition again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then... Last year, we had Pawpaw Bermuda, which was another collaboration. We, as a family, decided, look, let's, let's do a project together, and including my wife this time. We said, what do we want to do? Because I believe in working from concept first. Right. <laughs> and we said, well, let's look for something that is bedrock Bermudian, that people will just gravitate to or say, you know, I never thought about that before, or I never mm-hmm. thought about that in this way. A Bermudian value. 
Right. Um, and so we put a lot of things on the table. Then we said, well, can we think of an object that goes along with those values? And we came up with the idea of pawpaws. We said, you know what? Pawpaws are those reliable things in the back of your house. Yes. On that little <laughs> scruffy looking tree that uh -huh. your grandma made some awesome pawpaw casseroles. Sure and did. it's never held up as this awesome Bermudian cuisine, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a staple. And yes. if you say pawpaw, everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, and definitely. So we focused on that. <laughs> we did uh, 18 months or so of photographing pawpaws. One of my sons is a reinsurance executive, but he's, his art outlet is photography. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is a graphic designer, and his art outlet is paper making. And he'd make paper with the fiber from pawpaw leaves. And, you know, I paint and what have you, and try to look for the social connections. Is your wife an artist? She, she's a culinary artist. Okay, okay. And <laughs> so, that's the most important so of all. Together, <laughs> <laughs> so we put together a book that um, has pawpaw recipes, traditional recipes, as well as new and exciting ways of preparing pawpaws. Mm -hmm. So she did that. We were the tasters. We did that for many months. I put on some weight. <laughs> <laughs> So we had to have the photographs of them. And then that became the first portion of this book. The second was a gallery where I was able to show that pawpaws have been significant in Bermudian visual art from 1910. And mm -hmm. there were earlier instances as well. We have postcards, black and white postcards of black individuals with no shoes on, sitting on front streets, trying to sell pawpaws from boxes, and right on up to visiting artists painting pink cottages with the pawpaw tree next to it. Remember, mm -hmm. Bermuda had to be seen as a tropical paradise, even though right. it was semi And pawpaw trees became almost like our coconut of paradise. Right. And so they were included, right on down to Adolf Triedler, who was the number one artist for the Bermuda Development Board who were creating the brand for Bermuda. Mm -hmm. um, so I have those in a consecutive order in the book. And then I followed that up with writing in an essay in the back, which talks about all of this and how, okay, hold on to your seat. <laughs> In 1616, Governor Daniel Tucker right. sent to the islands to get fruiting trees, which included pawpaws, to bring to the island to help sustain the population here. Mm -hmm. And that was the same ship on which the first people of color, the first blacks were brought to Bermuda. Wow. Blacks and pawpaws came to Bermuda at the same time. Wow, that is like blowing my mind. Jeez. I got goosebumps I just now. I can't <laughs> look at a pawpaw the same way anymore. Right, no way, no way. And I have a newfound love for pawpaws. I mean, I've always really loved them, but a newfound love. Oh my goodness, I had no idea about that. That's incredible. <laughs> so what is the book called that you guys put together? It's pawpaw Bermuda. I must get that one as well. So I'll have a Ed Smith book collection real soon. I have your first book. <laughs> So I have the next one. I have to get that one. Wow, incredible. Um, Dr. Smith, this has been such a pleasure. Honestly, this has like made my entire day and it's been an honor to have you on with us. Thank you so, so much for your time. Well, I've enjoyed every minute. I love talking to people who have a genuine interest and uh, here's an opportunity to share. I don't think of myself as knowing more than the next person. Mm -hmm. I just feel that we're all in this race together. Yes. And I should be able to 
point out some of the speed bumps that are coming along and just to congratulate and respect and admire not only those who were in front of me, but those who are behind me. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Smith. Wishing you all the best in your career moving forward. The same for you. Thank you so much. Please share with friends, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us online at theartifacts.com and on Instagram at theartifacts. If you'd like to send us a message or to suggest an artist that you'd like to see on the show, please connect with us at theartifacts at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you our upcoming episodes. Peace and blessings. This recording is copyrighted by Jude Hassel, and all rights are reserved.